Would you be turning now to Matthew chapter 7? And we're talking today about kingdom dwellers. The entire thrust of the Sermon on the Mount is to show the complete distinction between true religion and false religion, between spiritual truth and spiritual hypocrisy. I just want to remind you that the Sermon on the Mount does not focus on the out-and-out sinner, the reprobate who openly rejects God, but rather the religious person whose life is marked by religious activity and ritual, but apart from a personal relationship with God. And what Jesus is teaching us is about the Spirit-filled life. And so I want to encourage you as we look into His Word today that you keep on your mind at the forefront that this is not the distinction between those who are outside a personal relationship with Christ who are out and out reprobates, but rather this is a, a, a message that contrasts those who claim to be religious. Yet without relationship, oh, we are kingdom dwellers and our lives should represent that. But I just want to tell you that if there's ever been a study that I've done, and I have taught in women's ministry for almost 30 years, if there's ever been a study that I have done that I have been personally as confronted over and over and over and over again with personal conviction, and I'm talking to you as a woman who has been a student of the Word of God for some 40 years now, and quite serious about it. When I fell in love with Jesus, I fell in love with his word. But I've got to tell you, over and over again, in these nine weeks that we have been studying, and really weeks and weeks before that in preparation and in the writing, I have found myself going, oh, ow, yikes. Anybody else with me on this? When I began teaching the word of God, the first group that I taught was college and career here at Bellevue. Of course, we were downtown at that time. And I had this room full of precious young women who were just beginning to move into the college a season of their life. Now, I was a young mom with two little boys under the age of three, and I was so busy, it was just unbelievable. But God had given me this passion for the Word, and I got to tell you, when they called up and said, would I be willing to pray about teaching the Word of God? I remember thinking... I think you've got the wrong Gene Stockdale because I could not imagine that God was going to bring me into that place. But i got to tell you, 40-something years ago, I fell in love with teaching the Word of God through ministry and teaching those precious women. Well, one of those young gals became a very good friend of mine, and I can still remember as we were walking in towards the sanctuary to go into worship where I would meet Craig and my family for church, that one of these young women said, Jean, I can't help but notice there seems to be a heaviness about you. You seem to be distracted. There seems to be something going on in your life. I wanted to check in with you, see how you're doing. And I said, yes, there really is. Uh, and she said, do you want to talk about it? And I said, sure, if you've got a couple of minutes, I'll just give you the highlight and I just shared with her whatever hard thing was going on in my life at that time. And I'll never forget, she just listened so patiently and her eyes were tender and moist and she was nodding her head and so sympathetic. And when I got finished, she said, okay, but you know, you're going to have to lay this thing down, right? And I can remember my response to her. I said, absolutely, absolutely. That's what I need to do. Lay this thing down. I will do that. 
And then I added this, just as soon as I get through with it. Anybody else ever been in that place? Yeah, I'm under conviction and I intend to deal with this soon. I need to chew on this thing just a little while longer before I turn it loose. And so I've just got to tell you, in all honesty, even though I do love the Lord and I love His Word and I'm pretty serious about this matter of Bible study, I've just got to tell you, God has held up a mirror in my own life that I have caught myself over and over and over again being guilty of that an anxious thought. Valuing the things of the world more than the things of the kingdom of God. Being distracted, despairing at times, being anxious during the lockdown. All of these things, not being a peacemaker. I live with a peacemaker. My husband, even in his temperament, is one of the most kind and gentle men I know. He is a phlegmatic, so he's just always sort of medium, never high and never low. I pass him coming and going all the time. And he does not like to be drawn into an argument. In fact, he is just naturally that way in his temperament and certainly spiritually that way, a peacemaker. I'm going to have to tell y'all, sometimes it annoys me to pieces. And I'm just saying, I'm going to go pick a fight with him just for the fun of it. I mean, it would be wrong if you all are sitting out there thinking, ah, of all people have it all together. I do not. I do not. But I keep striving to know my Lord Jesus more deeply, more fully, to be more yielded. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. It's this elevated life of living unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. In him we move and have our being. That's the message of the Sermon on the Mount. Well, enough for my introduction. Let's just get right into it. Look with me in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Do not judge. Okay, now. Okay, Oh my goodness, I just gotten over last week's lesson when I got hit with this. Do not judge so you will not be judged. But in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye and you don't even notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me pick the speck out of your eye and behold, there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. We'll just let that sit for a moment. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. I called this first section logs, dogs, and hogs. Now, y'all know that's clever. Y'all know that is clever. I want you to take note of that. I do love a good rhyming phrase, logs, dogs, and hogs. And again, Jesus is trying to show the difference between those who claim to be religious and those who genuinely have a personal relationship with Christ. And as you well know, 
Salvation does not make us perfect. It makes us forgiven, hallelujah, for that. But we enter into this process that's long and slow and painful and progressive called sanctification where we gradually become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the Spirit-filled life as we learn how to yield to Him and as we learn how to allow the Spirit of God to dwell so richly in us that we are operating in and through the Spirit of God according to the Word. Word of God. I've said it before. The Spirit of God is the internal control. The Word of God is the external control. Peter says we have been given everything, everything in regards to life and godliness through Jesus Christ. He's not talking about heaven when we die. He's talking about the life we're living right now with all of its frustrations and aggravations and irritations right here, right now. Everything that we need, but he's going to tell us, do not judge. Now, before I tell you what he does mean, let me tell you what he does not mean. This is one of those passages that has been perverted so badly, lifted out of context, and twisted around in so many ways that when I realized it was my assignment to teach it, I was hoping Donna would get it. You know what I'm saying? But evidently, I have drawn the short straw on this one. But this is simply a passage that Christians often quote. And it does not mean, beloved, that as believers, we should not make critical evaluation of other people. We're to be cautious with it. Indeed, we'll look at that. But the scripture is quite clear that the fruit is evidence of the root. And as believers, we are to make wise and discerning judgments without becoming judgmental. He's warning us as believers, as spirit believers, as kingdom dwellers, as citizens of heaven with this dual citizenship, earthbound and yet heavenbound as well. He is telling us to guard against becoming judgmental. But he is not telling us that we are not to evaluate and identify those who are opposed to the things of the Lord, those who are false prophets bringing a false message, those who are false teachers, those who despise the things of the Lord. He's going to go on to say, identify those who are hogs and dogs. And if you look over in verse 15 of chapter 7, Donna will be teaching this next week. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So he's not telling us not to ever judge anybody. He's warning us against becoming judgmental. But he's calling us to be discerning and wise. And so what he's not saying is that we're never to make a critical evaluation. That's not what he's saying. He is saying that we are to be careful that when we make a judgment against anyone or about anyone, we do it according to the revelation of his law, his holy word, that it is not to be based on our own human standards. And beloved, the problem is that's what you and I do. We make snap judgments all the time. And there's several reasons that we need to be warned against doing this. First of all, God alone is the judge. James 4, 11 and 12 says this. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law, judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. Therefore, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy, but... 
Who are you to judge his neighbor? Quit being judgmental. Quit being judgmental. And beloved, we do it all the time. Not only are we judgmental, we are quick to jump to conclusions. and We don't have the time have all the facts. There is a proverb, it's in 1813, that says he who answers a matter before he hears it. Well, it's a folly, a folly and a shame to him. We need to be careful not to judge quickly because only the Lord is the true judge and because we are prone to jump to conclusions. Furthermore, we don't know the motivation. We don't have all the facts behind the action. And you and I can be so careless to judge a situation or a person without knowing their circumstances, without knowing their motivation, and come to a wrong conclusion about that person. That's why he is telling us to be very careful and not to be condemning and judgmental, while on the other hand, you're going to see that he does teach us to be discerning and wise. I want to tell you about a situation that happened one time when I was teaching. This happened years ago. In fact, I was very newly saved. And I was invited to speak to a civic organization. It was such an unusual opportunity. I asked what they wanted me to speak on. And, and uh, they told me a little bit about the folks I would be speaking. There would be men and women there. I was just supposed to be doing a brief little introduction kind of thing. There were people who were interested in gardening. And, uh, and you know, with nails like these, you know I've never gardened. But uh, gardening, and they were very creative people, very crafty people. And they wanted me to do, uh, they used the term a devotion. Devotional, a devotional. Now, they didn't say I couldn't speak about Jesus. And so the title of my devotional was Knit One, Pearl Two, because I am a knitter. And I went up there with my basket of knitting, and as I was teaching, I was actually knitting. But I based it on Psalm 139, how I was knit together in my mother's womb, and then I went on to share my testimony. Well, I had barely gotten in to my message, and I was very, very new at this whole thing. Even uh, I had only been saved about two and a half years at this point, but I had a zeal and passion for the Lord. And I, I remember as I be launched into my message that about halfway through the Civic Center, there was a man and a woman. It appeared to be husband and wife. And as soon as I began to mention the name of Jesus, that man turned very deliberately and very slowly, turned his back to me. And I remember thinking, oh, no, he doesn't know the Lord. He doesn't want to hear about the Lord. He's telling everyone, telecasting to everyone that I'm not to be paid attention to or heard. And oh, I was just devastated. And I continued as I pressed on through it, but I stepped around the uh, podium to continue talking as I was walking around the stage, and I got a better glimpse of him. And do you know what he was doing? That was his wife sitting next to him, and she was hearing impaired, and he was very discreetly signing the lesson to her. Seriously, right? Right? Just thinking about it, I can, I, I, that's what, I mean, it just sucked the oxygen right out of my lungs. Judgmental spirit. I tell you, beginning, being able to teach the word, it's one of my favorite things to do. I can't believe the Lord lets me do it. I really cannot. Y'all are so fun to teach, but all women are. 
But I, I, I've had so many crazy things happen to me through the years uh, as I have been teaching. I thought I would at least tell you one other one um, that uh, uh, tickles me to this day. Years and years ago, I was invited to a very small church. I spoke three times, and at the end of my uh, time teaching, it was a two-day conference. The person who had put it together stood up and said, you know what we thought we would do is uh, take up a love offering and give it to Jean for coming to speak to us, and uh, we'd like to bless her that way. I was sitting out in the congregation at this point, and so they're passing the offering plate. And I've got to tell you, if there's ever been a more awkward thing, I can't think of it right this moment. But the height of it was the lady next to me. She receives the offering plate. She tosses a 20 in it. She hands the plate to me and makes change. <laughs> she thought I was worth about a dollar and a quarter. And... <laughs> Don't you just love that? I want to tell you, God uses moments like that and so many other to remind me that we are all broken, messy people. And that I am just as broken and messy as those women are that I'm ministering to. It keeps me reminded how far I have to go. Because you know what? According to what the Lord and I have dealt with this week, I am quick to judge, to elevate myself and make a judgment without fully knowing circumstances or motivations because it makes me feel superior and so much better than everybody else. It's very interesting as women, we tend to judge ourselves often, but we don't even do that accurately. We tend to find the worst Christian we know. And we say, well, I'm conflicted and I have issues, but I'm not that bad. Or we find the best Christian we know and we say, I'm never going to mount to anything. I'm never going to get to where she is. We either elevate ourselves or demean ourselves. When what we're called to do is to judge ourselves, not others, ourselves against the word of God. To get with the Lord and let him reveal those pockets of the flesh. Those places where even though we love him with all of our heart and have determined with all that is within us to walk in his goodness, in his fullness, in his righteousness and truth, to let him expose those areas in our life, painful as it is, that still need to be crucified and counted as dead. Well, we need to be careful of a judgmental spirit because God alone is the judge. We're guilty of jumping to conclusions. We don't know all of the details. And y'all, we're just messy, broken people on our way to heaven trying to walk by faith. That's who we are. None of us has it all together. The Apostle Paul said, I am pressing on. I'm forgetting everything behind me, those successes and failures, and I am just pressing on to know Jesus. Beloved, that's the right attitude. And, and uh, furthermore, we can, we can judge others and condemn them, not according to God's standards, but to our own. And what Jesus is saying is, if you're one of my followers, you don't get to do that. You don't get to do that. And the way you judge, you will be judged by the standard. You measure it out. It's going to be measured to you. What in the world are you doing trying to take a speck out of your brother's eye when there is a log in yours? Oh, the eye is such a sensitive, 
sensitive organ. I wear contacts I have for many, many, many years. I wear disposable ones now, but I'm so conscious of my eye, and I don't like anyone near it or anything. If anything comes near my eye, I'm telling you, all of me is marshaled up to try to avoid anybody touching my eye. Several years ago, Craig and I were headed out of the country to the other side of the world, and we were headed off on a mission trip, and it was going to be a difficult trip. We already knew that it was going to be a hard place we were going to and a hard trip, and we were all geared up for it. But I've got to tell you, that morning trying to get out the door was not easy. At that time, we had a boxer named Sadie, and she was going to have to be dropped off at the vet, and we were going to have to uh, get away right on time to get her to the vet and then get on to the airport to get, jump on our international flight, and there was a very tight schedule, and I was scurrying around trying to get everything done and at the last minute I ran into the bathroom and I put my contacts in. I gathered up all my luggage. Craig was already out in the car or my handbags. Craig already had the big luggage uh, out in the car. He had the dog out in the car. Car was running. I tore out and got in the car and as soon as I did I said oh my goodness my eye is bothering me and uh, I don't really have a lot of eye trouble and so it was kind of unusual and Craig said what's the matter? I said I don't know but now my eyes just pouring tears. I don't know what in the world and I said Craig we're fixing to jump on a flight and I'm afraid I need to see an eye doctor and I know I don't have time and we need to be praying right now about me and my eye and so we got to the vet and my eye was pouring water and tears it was hurting like everything Craig got Sadie and got her out of the car I got out on my side and he said honey you don't have to go in and I said I'm gonna go see the vet (laughs) and uh, that was my husband's reaction he said you're gonna see the vet And I said, do you suppose a dog's eye is all that different from a human's eye? And he said, okay, I'm thinking yes. And I said, I've got to see somebody before I get on that plane. I need help before I leave the country. I've got to figure out what to do. And he said, okay. And so we went in the vet. He's filling out the paperwork to leave our uh, Sadie Boxer. And um, I slip into the bathroom and I get close one eye and I get up there real close to see if I can see what's wrong with my eye. And uh, I think, well, maybe if I just take my contact out, the vet can look in my eye and perhaps tell me something to do before I jump on this plane. And so I got my contact out and I held it up to the light. And y'all, I had three contacts, three of them, three contacts in the same eye. When I got out to the car, Craig said, your eye's better. I said, yes, but we need to pray because I'm not feeling good about myself. The eye is very, very sensitive. And Jesus uses this kind of comical uh, illustration to say, if you've got something in, uh, in, if you see something in your brother's eye, you've got to make sure that you can see clearly and you can't see clearly as long as you've got your own stuff in the way. Now he goes on to say, God may use you to get the speck out of your brother's eye. But before you're able to do that, you need to get along with the Lord and in confession, take the log out of your eye. And beloved, if God ever, ever includes you in restoring one in the faith who's been overtaken into fault, I want to tell you, you need to move so carefully, so gently, so prayerfully. It's no small thing to be asked to step in to a broken place in someone else's life. You need to do it with such humility, letting them know that you understand what it is to fall short of the glory of God and what it means to be restored. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And he goes on to say, don't give what is holy to dogs or throw your pearls before swine. They'll turn and trample you to pieces. 
So he is not saying don't ever judge another. He's saying don't be judgmental. Don't be hypercritical. Don't be as the Pharisee elevating yourself and judging and condemning others. But rather be involved in the ministry of reconciliation if God calls you to that. And be very careful to realize there are enemies of the cross. Those who are antagonistic against the things of the Lord. And be careful, be guarded. And just one last admonition. We need to be careful as Christian women that we don't develop a carping, critical spirit. That we don't sit in judgment. That we don't elevate ourselves. That we don't compare ourselves. That we are busy about living by kingdom authority and kingdom principles so that others see Jesus in us. That's what Jesus is talking about in this most difficult passage. If you're a young mom, I want to ask you to guard the way you're training up your children. You do need to correct them. But you need to watch your words and beware of falling into the crack, the uh, falling into the trap of critical speech. Dobson says, nothing improves the hearing like praise. Doesn't mean you don't correct them. Teach them and train them. Yes, train them up in the way they should go, but according to their bent, understanding their personality, coming alongside, being an example, admonishing them, encouraging them as you instruct them. And for those of us who are wives, oh, beloved, Oh, beloved, it is easy for us to fall into a trap of being critical of our men. And home needs to be a place of safety and affirmation and encouragement. Be careful. It's easy for us to fall into a critical spirit, isn't it? Isn't it? We want things done well, and sometimes we criticize everybody, and we're letting them know you're never going to measure up to my standard, and that is so dangerous. That is so dangerous. Of the Proverbs 31 woman, it says she opens her mouth in wisdom and the law of kindness is on her tongue. I believe we can change the way our families operate if we would remember just that. And so as we move out of this section, let me quickly move us to the next section. I can only imagine how the believers in that crowd that day were looking at Jesus thinking, how in the world are we going to do this? They were buying into what he was saying, but surely they were questioning, how does this thing work? How do you live like this? How do you live according to the principles that he has laid out? How do you operate like this in the midst of a world that is contrary to the things of the Lord? How do you do it? And so he immediately turns the conversation back to prayer. So I call this section hide and seek. You remember that just a few verses back that he was speaking to us in chapter 6 about the secret place. And how when you and I go into the secret place, the Father is there to meet us. Go into the secret place when you give. Go into the secret place when you pray. Go into the secret place when you fast. And so I call this hide and seek to remind all of us we need to go into the secret place. We need to operate from the secret place. We need to live in the secret place under the shadow of the Almighty in the secret place of His presence. And when we do, there we can petition Him. There we can ask 
Look in verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. To him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you? When his son asks for a loaf, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he won't give him a snake, will he? If you then being evil, that is having a sinful nature, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Seek and find. Go to the secret place and speak to your father. Develop the spiritual discipline of prayer and meditation and sitting in silence. Listening for the Lord to speak. Operating in the secret place. That, beloved, that is how you and I begin to know our precious Lord better and better through his revelation of his word by his spirit. As he reveals himself to us, teaches us, and trains us how then we are to live. And I just want to remind you that he will answer. Sometimes his answer to our prayers is yes. Sometimes it's no. And sometimes, I believe this is the hardest one, he says, wait, wait. None of us like to wait. We live in a society that is framed by instant everything. Instant oatmeal, instant potatoes, instant access to knowledge through the internet, instant everything. And yet sometimes God's response is wait. Well, let me close us out in this last verse. Look in verse, excuse me, verse 12, chapter 7, verse 12. This is the golden rule. In everything, therefore, treat people with the same way you want them to treat you. This is the law and the prophets. He sums up this section by saying that this life that I'm talking about is to be spirit-filled, spirit-led. This life that I'm talking about is to be lived out in the power of the Spirit of God according to the Word of God. This life that I'm speaking about looks to do good to others and not evil. This great truth that he is revealing here at this particular place teaches us that in every relationship with believers or non-believers that we should seek their highest good to the glory of the Lord. Romans 12.10 says this, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. We are called to demonstrate sacrificial love with reckless abandonment. That is the life that Jesus is teaching us as kingdom dwellers. The authority, the power, it's all his, but it's available to us. But learn this, it is not automatic, but it is available. And you and I tap into his power when we learn to yield to the Spirit of God and live by the Word of God. Oh, that we would live in such a way that this lost and dying world would want what we have that we would make Jesus irresistible by the way we live and by the way we love, that we would learn to live for the applause of one. Beloved, 
Today is the last time I'll teach you this semester. I always hate to come to the very last one. I'm always asking the Lord, did I tell him everything you wanted me to tell him? Did I give him enough information that if they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, as personal Lord and Savior, that they can come to you? Did I give them everything? Did I train them up? Did I teach them? Am I ready to release them? And I've got to tell you, I'm always melancholy when I come to the end. Now, Donna will teach next week, but this will be my last time to speak to you. And so I just want to tell you from my heart what a joy and a thrill it is to get to come. And teach the word of God to women like you, of your caliber, women who love the things of the Lord, women who are living with Christ and his glory at the forefront of their mind. I wanted to close with this story I've told you before, but it just seemed so perfect. I wanted to end with it. I used to teach the mom's ministry here at Bellevue, a, a program that was just for a moms. They were moms of preschoolers all the way up to moms of college kids. And uh, in that group, we had a young woman who was stricken with cancer. She was just 27 years old. And I got to tell you, it rattled me and those young women that I was teaching to think of a peer being taken. And we prayed for her and begged God to heal her. But indeed, his plan was to take her home, leaving behind a husband that loved her so much and a little two-year-old daughter. And I can remember the devastation of it and how it really rocked our world and it caused all of us to rethink who we believe God is and we came to the conclusion he's exactly who he said he is. And the life of that young woman wasn't taken, it was finished. We began to rejoice in the fact that she was in the presence of the Lord, but oh, how it grieved us over her husband and that little one, over her mom and dad over his parents, the ones that were left behind, dear good good and godly friends. Well, the year after our sweet mama passed away, they were going to have a run walk at Shelby Farms. For those of you who are watching online, Shelby Farms is a green space here in Memphis. Great big area, many acres. And they were going to have a run walk in her honor to raise money for the kind of cancer that had taken her young life. They called and asked me if I could possibly be part of it. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I have a commitment on that day. But I'd love to participate in some way. And they said, well, would you be willing to come and pray? Oh, I was all over that. I can still remember this Saturday driving in there. My heart just had heavy tears pouring, just thinking about that young woman. And I arrived at that place, and they were meeting outdoors. There was a pavilion outside, and uh, let me just try to describe this for you. It was made of stone, and I met there. I was greeted there by the person in charge, and I got to visit with her husband and see her little girl, and oh, I just remember it just killing me, just so emotional. Her mom and dad were there. I'd known them for a long time, and it was just so painful. And they said, we would like you to step out there on the patio and pray. And uh, they took me around to this very long patio. It had a knee wall that was about this tall. Uh, and um, I was behind it. And there were hundreds of people. There was a kind of a grassy knoll that kind of sloped away. And there were hundreds of people there, moms and dads and toddlers and teenagers and babies in strollers and babies in backpacks. Hundreds of people had gathered to honor the memory of our dear sweet friend. There was a, a sound guy, and he had a microphone with a cord on it that had probably a hundred yards of cord and he had wrapped all of that cord around his arm like a lasso and he handed me the microphone and he said when I point to you you're to begin praying and so I, I took the microphone and I, I've just got to tell you I was extremely emotional you know I live in my feelings deep within my feelings if you don't I apologize for that but I do and uh, I, this was tough for me this really was and so he pointed to me and I began to pray and I can't really explain what happened, but I kind of lost myself in my prayer time. 
I kind of forgot where I was and what I was supposed to be doing, and I began to walk, and I began to uh, realize that I was just, I was just in the secret place with the Lord, and I was pouring my heart out, and I was praying, and I was interceding for his family, and for his little girl, and praying she would come to faith, and I got to tell you, I suddenly realized I'd been at this thing a long time. I'd lost track of where I was and how much time I had been praying. And so the voice inside my head uh, said, you need to bring this thing in for a landing. And so I just said, in Jesus' name, amen. And when I opened my eyes, y'all, I opened my eyes, there was not a soul there. I'm telling you, not one soul. I had closed my eyes. There were hundreds. I had opened, and I'm thinking to myself, how long was I at this? Where are my people? I had some people. Where did my people go? And as I stood there, I mean, I was bewildered. I realized that I was no longer facing Germantown Road, but that I was now had walked myself way to the end of this patio, and I was facing Walnut Grove. I mean, I was all tangled up. And so very slowly I turned, and there were my people, and they were all looking very afraid. They were like this. I did not know how to explain what had happened. I don't think they could have received it anyways. Really, I don't. I looked at my sound guy, and he has been flinging out cord as I walked away from him. And when I made eye contact with him, just for good measure, he was just flinging out just a little bit more. Just couldn't stop himself. I could not think of how to, I, I couldn't think of what to even say. And so I, I just kind of ducked my head and walked back. I walked past the sound guy, handed him the microphone, and I thought, it's probably best if I just go on to my car. I was headed to my car. I was telling the Lord, I, I, I did not do that well. And I apologize. I, I fear I have embarrassed you. And I don't know what to even say about what I just did. I, 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 have no, I have no idea how long I was praying out there. I am sorry. I am sorry. I did not handle that well. And I got in my car, and I, I, I mean, I was just overwhelmed thinking perhaps I'd oh, disgrace the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord just so quietly said, did you do that for the praise of men or for my glory? And I sunk back in my car. I put my hands on my steering wheel. Said, Lord, it was for you. That was for you. And he said, I receive it as such. And I can remember saying, I live for the applause of one. 